who works with and has created a group with his partner, Rhoda Thomas, called Live Poets. And they perform wonderfully, socially powerful, dynamic, political poetry. It is really inspiring. And for those of you, and I know many of you are with me on this, who are working every day to try to make this a better, more humane world. Tim's work and the work of live poets, he and Rhonda, are just, it's really inspiring. And uh, I urge you to check that out as well. And here we are. We have our full trio and our full complement, Misha Danduda. Welcome, sir. I'm so glad you could be with us today. I know your schedule is just crazy, but you made the time to join us for another Poets of the East. Misha, welcome. Good evening. Thank you very much for your invite. Actually, the schedule was all right. Uh, the only problem was of technical uh, was of technical origins. I just lost the connection for a couple of minutes, and I was really desperate. I couldn't make it, but it seems the connection came back just at the very moment, uh, um, in the last moment, in order to for me to be able to connect. And thanks God, it was it was like this. Thank you very much once again, dear Rick, for inviting me uh, to co-host uh, together with you this uh, very interesting program. It is really a honor for me, and uh, it is also a honor to uh, to have the possibility of uh, to have the opportunity. Uh, of saying a couple of words uh, about uh, those uh, about those uh, very interesting poets we are going to uh, to, have, uh, to have today. Um, it is uh, what unites all of them. Uh, it is uh, their engagement on the uh, on the field of progressive uh, causes um, and uh, their uh, attempts in. Uh, sustaining and uh, supporting uh, social causes uh, uh, which uh, uh, which are affecting uh, the life of the majority uh, majority of I don't know which is the order you are going to introduce them um, I would only point out that uh, Tim Evans uh, as a poet a teacher and an activist um, he uh, from Wales uh, he is one of the uh, one of the Personalities that uh, uh, supports uh, that sustains the necessity of remembering the railway, the railway strike uh, from uh, 19 uh, from 1911. Um, he's also a performer. He uh, presents his poetry in a variety of different venues and in a variety of uh, very interesting ways. Uh, he's also a drummer. Uh, he drummed in the band uh, Mambo uh, Jewish. We then we have also Mrs. Uh, Alexandra Psarapolu, which uh, is a strong fighter for the anti-abortion uh, cause and for the rights of women, uh, among others, to decide about their uh, what what happens with their own uh, organism. And then we have uh, we have Flesh, a very interesting personality, community organizer, art director, event manager, street promoter, poet, and networking conduit. Um, also an activist for progressive causes for over uh, over 30 years. I am very curious uh, to hear them directly. I knew something about their poetry, but it is really a privilege to uh, 
to have the opportunity to say a couple of words about them and in the same time to hear them directly live presenting their own creation. Good luck. Well, thank you, Misha. As always, wonderful perspective. You, you bring such a marvelous depth of understanding of the work of poets and, and your, your articulation, as always, is eloquent. We have Mr. Flash with us right now. So without any further ado, I'm going to ask Mr. Flash, tell us a little bit about how you got started as an artist, what art forms first captured you, and then a little further down the road, how you captured that desire to create, that desire to share and communicate with, with what you know is the important work of building a better world. Well, thank you for having me, Rick. I, I really appreciate this. Um, I, I've been writing probably most of my life, and I, I just turned 50 a little bit ago. And it's been interesting to see the evolution of the creative process from my earlier scribbles to something a lot more broader, and that allows me to explore ideas in the medium of writing. Uh, I'm not a visual artist, typically, and it's been a new element that I've been trying to add, uh, visual art, usually com uh, collaborating with other artists to match with the poems, to be able to help uh, build it out and get more people tuned in. Um, right now, I'm, I'm slowly working on enough material to create a book and ideally do some sort of CD or video format for it to reach those who don't read but appreciate the sentiments. So it, it's been a, a very fun process during hibernation life here in terms of just trying to focus ideas and energy and, you know, match the tones with, with the words to be able to share. Wonderful. Now, when you started writing, uh, was this uh, in high school, in college, uh, or just a, were you just inspired and driven to, driven to write? I would say probably even earlier, maybe junior high, I started doing some version of writing. Um, in the beginning, it felt more like song lyrics, and I, I wasn't a musician, but that was like the art form that I connected with. And then now it's more expanded where I've done a lot of work over the years, um, a lot during with the Wallflower Gallery time where I would mix in live music with poetry and that really helped to expand the voice and the the creative capture of collaboration and you know so now it's i i envision certain music with certain pieces and other parts it's you know to see how other people um connect with it and create on their own well i know i have seen you do so many good uh projects related to causes, whether it be medical marijuana or the Everglades, uh, just so many wonderful issues. And you were really taking on that special art of bringing others together in a performance venue, uh, making sure all that work. I know I spent enough time producing events to know how complicated that is. You took on this special labor. I think I think that's so amazing. You want to talk a little bit about producing as well as, uh, you know, the more plastic arts? Well, 
I never really saw myself as a producer as much as a community organizer. I, I would just try and bring the people that were doing things together and see how people collaborated. And that developed for many years from functional funk to the Wallflower Gallery. It, it expanded in different realms when I started working with the Mokshars Collective and Rockers Movement. But it, it's just one of those ongoing pieces that just allows people to come together and share the creative voice and the process within. And that is very empowering because when you visualize that type of art and you're experiencing it live, that resonates with a lot of other people. And if you're trying to change the world through art, you know, you have to inspire people and find ways for connections to grow and not have it stifled. It's, it's really about flourishing. And for me, that's been a unique process of learning and, you know, sharing. Well, uh, did you, do you play an instrument as well as uh, uh, produce events and write? I wouldn't call myself a musician. I've had some fun playing with some percussion and some harmonica, but I don't call myself a musician. Okay. So, well, that's fair enough. I, I amuse myself rhythmically as I can, but it's, again, the, the level of what musicians really create and how they're able to work in that dimension is not something that I would feel like I, I, I'm in touch with fully. Okay. I understand. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, do you want to share one of your poems with us? Sure. I, I've been writing a lot of interesting stuff recently, at least I think so. And this one uh, began a bit of a trilogy. It, it was unintended that way, but it, it, this one is called The Predator. Ah. The Predator. The Predator hunts without mercy, consuming anything in range, land, air, Water, animals, plants, people, ideas, tribute for the machine, a monopolistic dream. Blood oozes from an unsatisfied grin, metal and bone, primal and unrelenting. Magus fattened from the waste before succumbing. The beast lives to eat, gnaws on your knees, rifts off your feet, no way to run. Cull the herd with violent cages. Don't trust the others, sensory estrangement. Trading green, grass to bile, commerce of death, consciously defiled. Meat market mentality, a behemoth lumbering dimly. The phrase need more, echoing. The helpless crushed under rotator tread, spewing shit, trails of the dead. Never looking back, priming for the next attack, only yielding to thicker fiends. Leaving scars left to demean, to successful schemes. Acquisitions of tears and shrieks, Collateral reckoning. Still, the monster has allies and servants, those who believe they are safe in their roles, numbing their feelings as they toil, tasked with goals, aged and old, vitality sold, now grabbing for gold, but left with dust from coal. Breathe it in, secondary sins, but you can't exhale, too frail. The constrictor squeezes as it pleases, leaves you crippled with diseases. The system gathers the remains, Detailing itemized pains, bills and shills, mirroring scalpels and pills, yet no love for the blood spilled. Plots mark where they were dropped, for some that's all they got. Others get a cardboard box, alive or dead, existence of dread, 
lost in a race with humanity disgraced, aspirations dashed, crack for cash. You want to suckle, but you only get slapped. Existence trapped, odds stacked, left filleted on a rack, presented with a little garnish, skulls and scraps tossed in the trash. This routine careens with despair and little care, fortified by blue lives, shrouded in white lies. Hear the muffled cries. Open your eyes and realize that we need a change. Rearrange this feast where we get the least. Time for our peace. End this war that bolsters the profiteers, corporate mutineers. Allegiance to no one beyond profit's illusion, collusion that makes us all fodder. Sacrifice your sons and daughters, your mothers and fathers too, and of course, you. Does your value come from what you earn or how you make someone feel? How do you feel about yourself when blame leaves no one else? Choices made in an unbalanced cascade forces compromise, yet our destiny is still within our hands, awaiting a unified stand. Listen to the earth's demand, voices of the people in the land. We must slay the savage that seeks our defeat. We cannot tame and shade with different names. Exploitations is history's game. Make slavery and pollution a shame. Lift our standards to a higher plane. Broken modes can't stay the same. Imagine interaction based on decency, fostered by empowered equality, unity within community, diversity meshed with equity, solidarity based on integrity. Discovering that we can achieve more than we believe, opening possibilities before a requiem scream. Excellent. Excellent. Now, you were, you were involved with uh, supporting the, the drive for medical marijuana. You were involved in the work for the Everglades. Uh, anyone who knows anything about the conditions of environments in Florida know the threat that the Everglades suffer under. Uh, I was wondering, have you written poems about either of these causes that are, that are obviously dear to your heart? Actually, yeah. I did a piece called Everglades Kiss and um, Everglades Activation recently. And then I've done a piece called Medical Wonders about the medical marijuana campaign. Well, I won't ask you to dig through your files, but uh, I, I know all the work that you've done uh, that I've seen has been just marvelous. And uh, I've had the honor to work with you on several different causes uh, as a performing poet. And I know the work that you've put in to do that, to help these causes, has just been really effective. And, you know, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to these events day after day. And I, I hope you can, can feel just, just a little good about the work that you've done. You've done a lot of good for Florida and for the, for the environment, uh, both social and, uh, and shall we say, you know, the greenery, so to speak. What well, other uh, poems I, I always like? view this as a group project. <laughs> and and well, I, just to let you know, I have that prop that you made from a, an event from long ago still. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a very special prop. <laughs> uh, yeah. Walking down the streets carrying a six-foot joint. Uh, did did give me the occasional look of a passerby. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that next to a, a six foot uh, a six foot frog, not ceramic uh, paper mache, so it matches very well. <laughs> well, good. That's good to know that it lives on. 
Yep. <laughs> well, what what other poems do you would you like to share with us, my friend? This is really wonderful work. I'm going to continue with the trilogy with a, another new piece called Angry Earth. Wonderful. Go ahead. Angry Earth, fires and floods, intense dangers of destruction, clash, still brewing with industrial combustion, polar ice fading unshaded, warnings left unheeded, incremental denial, set the exploitation dial, greed fortified, power breaking backs with dreams of stacks, mountains explode, crumbled for coal, decimation cascaded, shattering horizons, shale fracking, sediment cracking, Releasing irradiated methane, buffer drains, triggering earthquakes that linger, echoing imbalances bigger. Flammable water, contamination resides, dark demise as cancer rates rise, pumping a crude deluge of old dinosaur stew, mainlining of venom infused, excavation sites, pipeline blights, roads bulldozed, refineries offload, idealized and commodified, block the gas station shock, connect the dots. The landscape's pocked with spills and rot. Black death oozes. Drill, baby, drill. Kill, baby, kill. Lobbyist, shill, baby, shill. Cha-ching. Life tagged by dollars without a conscience or concern. Churning, undiscerning. Heavy machines with motley extremes. Combined in disguise, propriety blind. Left to leak toxic residue behind. Liquid in land. Desecrated and damned. Unnatural concoctions. Discarded, unwanted. Left to seep and creep as a harbinger deep. Water, formerly nourishing, now turned into a streamy sleeper. Contamination reaper. Corrosive menace, inflaming senses. Scarring flesh with tumors. Yet gag orders try to stop the rumors. Gray the air, soot black spreading everywhere. Once vibrant blue, pale faded. Red highlights, fire skies, blood sighs. Burns your lungs, crying eyes. Watch a bright future subside. So few ask why. We witness the ecological violations, deforestation annihilation, millennial lumber harvested, slash and burn, disposable decadence. When the valleys get dry, landslides collide with granular force, responsibility divorced, air scorched, no control, deserts and dust bowls, dimming the sun, erasing traces of what was, wilderness replaced, under contentious clay, sprawling decay, Songs of the forest silence, survival reliance, resistance persistent, favoring niche adapters, resilience raptured, crashing along Darwin's edge. Agrozones juxtaposed with monoculture tones, chemical leaching compounded, root attributes abandoned, hazmat forms become the norm, fermenting the modern farms, subsidized to compromise health for wealth, enigmas stigmatized, pollinators die as food fields refine becoming drug-dependent, plant and land, juiced and reduced, vitality stripped scarce, nutrients impaired, the web is broken, left as tokens, fragments stagnate as corpses pile, animal exile, tracking extinction's pace, hard to contemplate, consumed for food, trophies for goons, cornerstones thrashed and looted, biodiversity screwed by the loot and crude, passion subdued, forced to refuge, the last gas collapse and snares and traps, decomposing, drying, and drifting away, coarse particles stray, settling off into the distance unremarked. The arid air broods with the dwellings of despair, sharp gusts reeking of rust, tainting taste with flavors of waste, 
hearkened as poisonous cumulus cloud shroud, darkening the sky as the smog belies, obscuring the radiance with tempest acid torrents, dousing any hope with pain. Tornadoes cutting swaths of land bare, victims caught unaware, a shattered fantasy crashed, mud and trash taking the desolate path, tidal madness surging coast, sweeping remnants of domestic coasts, tsunami catastrophes on anchoring foundations, stability shaken, battering stick, steel, and stone, ensnaring in titanic oceanic tombs, feral vestiges gnawing with rising salt infusion, crusted tears eroding retention, the nomads scavenging endless migration, homeless vagabonds looking for salvation, doom's razor penetrates, but this is a twisted bayonet, spurting and festering, disease ravaging, the defenseless succumbing, numbing senseless, microbes killing millions, suffering billions, promise lost in oblivion. The repose declines along fractured lines, silently waning as that spark fades. Windswept plastics color the terrain, a lasting domain of discarded remains, products and packaging outliving use, an ecosystem of refuse, desolation teeming with ghosts and graves, skeletons sprawled forsaken, all natural barriers faded, ozone protection degraded. Revelations, Mother Earth, glimpse the future and mourn, or change. The mirror is clear, but still refuted by the looted, jumbled by arguments convoluted. Either way, their stubbornness can't be the mainstay. Progress must be made. Will this be the destiny that we leave for history's archive? Is it already too late as the hands of fate grip tighter, suffocating? Or will we retract the impact back before the coffin nails are spiked? The angry earth bleeds, but is still alive. Will we adapt to survive? The possibilities are within our grasp, but the predator strives to outlast, consuming vibrancy, social humanity, cursed by societal extremes of greed. Can we change and rearrange with hopes of a better tomorrow? Too much strife and sorrow, yet we can't wallow. Time to redirect the ingrained pain. 21st century advances offers more chances. Embrace circumstances before vigor becomes rancid. Harness power with new insights, sustainable types. As a bonus, conserve with new lights. End the dissension and become proactive. Break debris flow. Include compost to decompose. Remove rubble before it kills vitality. Wildlife, plants, land, lakes, and seas. Rewild habitats, large and small. Nurture nature with a purpose that calls. Recognize that we only only part of Earth's heart. We need all included in the jump start. Squeeze the potential to shift. Innovation offers too many ways to list. International, national, regional, municipal, local and personal. Communal and individual. Global goals. But it starts with you. Be inspired and see it through. So let it be known. The world we save is our home. Very powerful. Very nice flash. That was that was really beautiful. Um, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was uh, just every bit as amazing as I imagined. Your work is powerful stuff, brother, and I hope I hope you really continue this stuff. It, it is it's awesome. Misha had a comment he wanted to make. I wanted also to appreciate the force and the strength of uh, Flash's uh, poetry and also to stress that uh, as it happens in the case of uh, almost all the progressive artists and especially poets, this poetry 
is as close to the classical one with rhythm and rhyme in classical form, uh, which is able to convince and to uh, and to abort uh, to address better, better express what it wants to say. And on the other hand, it has close to the experiment, to the avant-garde, uh, which has al always been one of the uh, one of the dimensions of the uh, of the progressive uh, progressive poetry, and which actually is proved also by his uh, uh, by his uh, attitude towards. Uh, towards music, which is also something between uh, between classical drumming and uh, avant-garde. Congratulations, really great. I'm, I'm glad you like. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, we'll have to have you back again sometime. Thanks so much, Flash. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. Let's talk again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Misha, we have... Uh, Miss Alexandra Sarapolu coming up next. You want to say a few words about her? Actually, I'm very curious to hear her voice, and uh, I have to admit that besides maybe five or six texts which I managed to find to happen, I happened to find on the internet. I didn't have the opportunity to uh, read more deeply uh, into her uh, into her creation. So I am very curious. Or, uh, to hearing her, I only uh, I only can I only can say that um, she seems to be well. She will confirm this or not, whether I'm correct or not. Um, she seems to be strongly influenced by the uh, left-wing uh, Greek poetry in the fifties uh, and in the sixties, uh, which uh, and some echoes are to be uh, find found also in her poetry well she will confirm or not whether it is or the whether whether it is like this or not well she's been on our show many times in the past and one of the things that i learned about her was that she comes from a very artistic family and uh, her work uh as she will remind anyone who asks it's more than just the written word it's more than the spoken word it's the experience of her words and her graphics. So I urge those of you who are touched, who, who hear this, please take a look at Amazon. Take a look at her work there. You'll be able to see some of her poetry because it's more than words. It's, it's a visual experience itself. So here we go. Alexandra Sarapulu from Athens. Let me introduce my good friend and guest, Alexandra Sarapolu. Alexandra, welcome. It's such a great honor and pleasure to have you with us. You know, I've been I've started this new project called Poets of the East. Yeah, and people have asked me, well, what do you mean East? Well, I mean everything East, okay? Uh, to me, a poet's voice is a sunrise. So right. if I could have a poet from the most Western land imaginable, wherever that might be, and right. say that this is a voice from the East. So my dear, unquestionably, you are a voice from the East, a voice from the cradle of democracy, a right. poet from Athens. I am so pleased to have you with me. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thanks for keeping in touch over all these years. I've added a few more flying. <laughs> excellent, excellent. You must have very strong wings now. 
<laughs> it, I, I kind of like try and ignore, uh, you know, a lot of the um, sort of chaos in the political field. And uh, yes, we, we do have democracy here in our country and women are free. We don't know what it's like not to be free. Women have power. Our president, the, the president of Greece is a woman. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, Katerina Sakelaropoulou. We, we have our rights here. We, we're kind of quite settled and nestled in that. However, I believe that our prime minister of the New Democracy Party these years, 20 and 21, has been sort of served quite, <laughs> quite a huge serving of COVID virus with uh, Erdogan uh, aggressive policy and immigrants trying to cross our borders. And it really is quite a handful for him, including the, the bad weather conditions at times. And uh, I think he's juggling everything as best he can, although he does receive criticism from the opposite party. Sure. Which is exactly what they're meant to do anyway. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. There's no way we, we will accept fascism in Greece. No way. Well, I, or any other kind of extreme, I think we're kind of stuck with democracy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, tell so, me, you're an educator, uh, you're a poet, you, you are a human being, a wife, a mother, a grandmother. What has been your focus of writing recently? Uh, okay, the first, okay, always I have to explain that my poem is written first, and it's one long poem from beginning to end, it's not a collection. The pages are always accompanied by my own graphic designs. So, They're marvelous, by the way. They are marvelous, delightful, light, airy, spacious, multidimensional. When I first started this, I did not notice a lot of other graphic poets like me. And I was desperately trying to find more graphic poets, visual poets like me, so that I could finally claim my niche in the Amazon market. <laughs> but now I'm kind of happier to say that I am seeing more graphic poets appearing on Amazon, graphic novelists, of course, and there's, and of course a lot of the old romantic poets like Byron, Tennyson, Shelley, who are being illustrated and thus making them more appealing to a wider audience, a younger audience, as well as the Iliad, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. All these are now going through illustrated uh, versions. And so graphic design certainly has a very strong niche now um, in the book market. I, and so now the last, uh, I've added ever since we last spoke, flying six, seven, and eight to the series. And I've sort of gone into a wider scope. Flying seven was actually inspired by a girl who was raped and murdered here in Greece by an Albanian guy, actually. And in, he's in prison now. Um, and uh, I was just horrified, you know, at the brutality. And that was kind of inspired into and flowed into a general sort of stance against violence worldwide. But it was, it was mainly inspired from that. And actually, the... 
The judge was a woman who sent both guys to prison, and it was a very emotional trial with the parents there and everything. So I was quite affected by that. And Flying Eight is based on uh, Heraclitus, uh, the Greek philosopher, who says that you have to have um, a sort of a thesis, a place, uh, which will be contrasted by an antithesis, and from this, let's say, merging of two opposing, opposing parties, you have a new synthesis, which brings forth a beautiful new harmony. And this is the way humans have been evolving, and I kind of chose, you know, to base my poem on, on that philosophy. How wonderful. And that's the river flows, the never-ending flows. Because this is a, the cycle of expansion for humanity is thesis-synthesis and new synthesis. Um, but in my poems, it's not just the, the powerful words. Thereafter, I have created the poem, which is very long. It has to be, let's say, replenished and, um, and for, reinforced with the visual. And the visual also has its own, its own pattern of escalating crescendo following the poem. Um, and you'll notice that the designs have their own unfolding, unraveling pattern as they reach a crescendo together with the poem. I actually spend like a year <laughs> writing the poem and then doing the designs. It's quite a lot of work for one long poem and uh, the designs accompanying it. It's quite a lot of work. Now, let me ask you this. I, I know that graphic is an intrinsic part of the piece because you are a multimedia poet, something that the world is only coming to understand slowly. Um, yeah. Now, is the ideal presentation medium video where your spoken words are accompanied uh, by the moving graphics, or is it a series of static images? How do you envision the ideal presentation? Okay, yeah, well, I have a, a few YouTube videos that um, a friend did for me, where the design, she took the graphic designs and, and animated them with flame, and then there was my voice coming on along with the poem and fading in waves and it was just like a sample video of six designs which were moving they were moving and you could hear my voice reading a few lines of the poem of course i can't recite the entire poem because it would be against amazon policy okay but there is a very every book has a very long preview um on amazon and Flying One is actually a perma-free book, because I thought I would just give the first book in the series for free. Um, like that old axiom, first one's always free. <laughs> well, because this is kind of unique, and I don't know many people who do write these long poems with graphic design. Uh, I wanted to give readers a very good idea of what this whole thing is about um, in order to help them to decide whether they want to read more. <laughs>
When I was a young man starting out as a professional artist, my medium was light shows, you know, the the moving light and color and shape and sometimes pictures, but often just abstract designs. And the challenge with them was they occurred in time. You had to be there in that space to see those things. And I had people say to me all the time, well, what kind of art is that? I can't put it on the wall. I can't frame it. And I said, yeah. that's exactly the point. It's it's not that kind of art. It's not a plastic element, yeah. a, a material object. It's an experience. Yeah, it's like the theater or yeah, a show, a circus show or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to say that my challenge <laughs> is not my inspiration because, you know, I li- you know that I live overlooking, uh, on, up on the mountain, overlooking the sea, the Aegean, with my olive trees all around. How beautiful they are, and, and what a great view you have, I, de- I remember. And so my challenge is trying to understand the Amazon marketing, maybe talk to a few fellow poets and folk on LinkedIn, but that is my challenge. I, I am just a humble poet, but at the same time, I I would like to share, you know, the the flying series as much as possible. I don't feel that I'm one of those really wow, you know, huge <laughs> best-selling, uh, <laughs> flashy on the list. I, I just managed to find my niche, but the entire educational Greek system is uh, has been on Zoom. And Webex. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's how we're all functioning. Well, schools, the primary schools opened up just for a month and then we all closed down again. So, would you like me to open up? Okay, so from Flying One, which is the first in the series, the sun is brilliant, so many people around, so many things to do, so many experiences to revel in, won't let the visions go. And the wind is blowing. And the land is golden and the, and the moon is shining, won't let the madness go. Seeing that everything is worth it, won't let the bright flashes go. And the wind is blowing and the horses are flying, and the land is golden and the moon is shining, I will go over the line. Well, very nice. an example of flying one. Wonderful. I don't know how many samples like that you want to... Uh, uh, do two or three, why not? If you're comfortable doing it. I ha- I'm not very good at reciting, um, but... Oh, I, I can't tell. You sound pretty good at reciting to me. Okay. <laughs> this is flying two. This is the, the book for flying two. And uh, the flying is high, the flying is high, the flying is the highest, it lasts forever. Take me on the turquoise horse, over the hayfields, into the sun, forever. Lovely. Your artwork is extraordinary. I can go into flying six, which is a bit later on, because every flying book is one step further. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so in flying six, golden cords connecting us, golden cords surrounding us, like the sparkling sunlight on the blue sea, like the sparkling sun waves on the sea sand, 
divine help, divine forces flowing in, our vibrations riding over the waves of life, bravely crossing all barriers, singing a magnetizing melody on a hypnotizing journey, turning the dark into light, turning the wrong into right. And on it goes. Very lovely. And I will just do the beginning also of uh, flying seven and eight. Okay. Uh, in the temple high above the sea, a sweet, gentle breeze blows through the orange curtains. And here there is a sacred, a sweet flame. Sorry, I have to start that again. I do presume you'll be editing this. <laughs> oh, only so far as is necessary, my dear. I, I try to let the poet's voice just sing out. Okay. This is a, this poem, actually I live by the Temple of Poseidon in Sunil. Ah. And uh, I'm not sort of a, a freak or anything, but I do have visions and I saw that my sons and I, we, we were in that temple at the time it was, being, it was already new and built in ancient times. In uh -huh. ancient. And I had, this was a vision. I was inside the temple and there were or long orange curtains blowing over the cliff, over the sea. And so, not a dream, but a live vision with a screen opening up. <laughs> Great. In the temple, high above the sea, a sweet, gentle breeze blows through the orange curtains. And here there is a sweet flame burning in every heart, melting all resistance under the powers that guide us through sorrow and joy within and without, knowing how not to hurt or be hurt by others, to be proud of ourselves on earth as above, Unable to understand, unable to bear cruelty, using our strength to protect, to care for, dancing, dancing to diffuse. And lovely. Onward. Absolutely lovely. Onward that goes. And the last one I, I will choose to present is the one that was based on uh, the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus. Uh -huh. Flying eight. And the river flows, the never-ending flow, and our bodies go against the flow, and our bodies go with the flow. So many people suffering, ailing, so many people flourishing, blooming, synthesizing turquoise love and kindness, like a colorful blossom on a tree, directing, balancing our physical body, our beauty into health, strength, vibrancy, healing weakness, disease, releasing our spirit into mystic quality, fly, 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 fly. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for reading this lovely, lovely work and showing us, those of you who uh, are listening to this on the radio, uh, I want you to know that you should go to Amazon and look for Alexandra Sarapoulou's Flying Series. You will be enriched by reading and looking at these gorgeous visions that she's created. Uh, Alexandra, uh, beyond Amazon and flying, is there any other way they can look for your work? 
there is a website um, which actually doesn't have more than what Amazon provides. Okay. Uh, Amazon has quite long previews in the beginning, as well as a perma-free book. Um, I have managed to kind of put my um, designs also into Pinterest and Inkit and Goodreads and BookBub. But I think that Amazon provides the longest previews. Okay. The point is that I do have a very, this very strong ongoing inspiration, which started from one book and kind of expanded into the Flying series. And I, I would very much love to share it with as many people as possible, having already had very good feedback. Um, and so, it's not just about selling, it's about being able to share something which hopefully is elevating um, and uplifting for, for the people who read it. Hopefully will kind of raise the heart and the soul to higher level. Well, isn't that what flying is, right? Lifting us up. And uh, for that, I... I thank you tremendously. Do you plan on continuing the flying series, or is there some new, new uh, traveling in space next? <laughs> no, that's NASA. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea because I don't plan the inspiration. It just creeps in on me, and suddenly there I am, and it's flowing. And the poem always comes first, and then the graphics follow. So I never know, right now I'm working on Flying 9, and uh, I never know if there's, you know, what's going to happen next. It's uh, just, uh, you know, I don't produce on demand, I just produce upon inspiration. Well, so, you, you mentioned uh, you were learning HTML. Do you have a website up yet for your, for your work? No, I, I learned HTML in 10 minutes because when you put your books on Amazon, you also have to put the book descriptions in HTML forms. And so my son, who's a programmer in Silicon Valley, he just said, you know, here's the sandbox. <laughs> okay, good. And he just explained, you know, EM for italics and strong and paragraph. It was really easy. Well, good, I, good, I good. I had to, yeah, HTML. I, I actually learned how to do the whole Amazon thing on my own. Good for um, you. I do hope that I am offering the world something uh, sort of uh, worth reading anyway. I'm, it's not for the money. <laughs> right, right. Very few people go into poetry for the money. No, it, it has to be something very powerful and strong, both visually and... Uh, verbally, you know, the words, in order for me to feel, okay, yes, this is worth uh, sharing. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I wish you every success on your work and, and continued enthusiastic response to your flying series. I look forward myself to uh, flying nine, maybe even flying ten sometime down the way. Okay. Alexander Saropolu, thank you so much for your time. Okay, and actually, uh, my name, Saropulu, means fish bird, 
Tari is fish and bird is puli. <laughs> no kidding, I didn't know that. Thank you so much. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense that you do flying, doesn't it? Oh, flying fish. <laughs> fish birds. <laughs> have, have a wonderful evening, my dear. Thanks again. You too, and stay safe and virtual for the time being. <laughs> Absolutely. Bye-bye. Well, there we go, Alexandra Sarapolu, whose name literally means flying fish. How about, how about that, Misha? Well, actually, after finding out all those fantastic things about her, about her creation, I think a better name couldn't be possible for such a sensitive <laughs> and uh, talented poetess. And I have to confess you something, um, Rick. You know, uh, it was a typo in the document I, I've got. And instead of Alexandria Saropoulou, it was written Alexandra without, uh, without E and I, Saropoulou. Therefore, I had those problems because Alexandria Tsaropoulou is a very well-known personality in the world of poetry, of course, whilst Alexandra Tsaropoulou, I mean just without E and without I, it seems to also to be a poet, but not as far as famous as Alexandria. So therefore, I had problems to find out more things about her when I, when I tried to. Uh, let me mention uh, what impresses me and, uh, well, by difference to Alexandra, about Alexandria Tsaropoulou, I, uh, I knew, of course, uh, enough of things. And uh, there are three dimensions of her creation which, uh, uh, which uh, feature, which characterize, which describe very well uh, not only, uh, not only uh, her poetry, but also her way of being, her, her personality. Intellectualism, femininity, and um, and uh, femininity with fight for for democracy, um, and and uh, and also uh, the feeling of justice. Those three dimensions, when adding them, if you want, as vectors in the space, they give the whole dimension of her very interesting and complex um, three-dimensional poetry with. Uh, such a complex graphic uh, graphic dimension. Uh, really, I don't think we have 10 artists like her uh, in whole Europe uh, now. Maybe there are a little bit more of them in the United States, but nevertheless, she's one of, uh, one of the leading artists in her field uh, in, uh, in Europe. And I'm very happy that I had the privilege to listen to this interview, to this wonderful interview you made with her with her tonight. Thank you so much, my brother. Next up, a flower of South America, Miss Gelda Castro. Do you have some thoughts? Well, I think it is that kind, just like Alexandria, it is that kind of poetess which is better to let present, introduce herself. There is a lot, a lot to say about Gelda Castro. If I can modestly recommend something uh, to our listeners is that they pay attention to the sensual, sensitive, in, sensually, sensitively intellectual dimension of her poetry. I'm sure she will tell much more and much better than I'm able to. 
a wise, wise choice, my brother. Never too much, always just enough. Thank you. And now, Gelda Castro from Rio. Absolutely, absolutely. I have the great honor of introducing an extraordinarily gifted poet, Miss Gelda Castro of Rio. Gelda, welcome. Gelda. 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 It's okay. difficult to, to pronunciation. <laughs> I, I I will do my best. I'll do my best. Um, also, I have. I I send you my apologies if you uh, my accent or my pronunciation is not so good. To, sounds to lovely. Oh, to talk in third language is very difficult to me. Well, you're very skilled an intelligent woman who can do that. Unfortunately, I have just a smattering of Spanish and a smattering of German. My primary language is English. I have not taken the time to expand my vocabulary this way, but I have great respect for people I, who have... I hope you'll be patient with me, okay? Trust me on that. Trust me on that. I, I want you to know, even before we talk about poetry, which I'm looking forward to doing, I've got to tell you, your accent sounds so beautiful in my ears. Oh, my. You make my day, my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are very kind, very kind. No, I'm, I'm just honest, that's all. Um, let me tell our audience a little something uh, that I have learned over the over the the past months about you. You write on many topics. You write so much about the beauty of nature, about how people should treat each other. Uh, it's so lovely. I always like to ask my poet guests, when did you start writing? What was that first inspiration that that brought you to write? Okay. Um, Rick, I think uh, um, literature, um, poetry, uh, always, uh, always been with me. I remember still a uh, uh, teenager. I already liked so much to read poetry and to write. Uh, I think there that time I start to to write my my writings. Um, I always seek for inspiration um, from nature, of course, um, and from people. People inspire me a lot. Each one has a specific um, detail, specific talent, um, and it is very enriching to rise. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I started writing young, too, in my early teenage years, and I was one of those people who was inspired to write uh, about events, about politics, about nature in a environmentalist sense, you know, uh, 
to write to protect nature, to write to, to protect people against war. Uh, this was uh, very much the topic in my teenage years, the Vietnam War and all that. Um, did you, do you find yourself addressing social issues, societal issues, or do you write more personal work? Oh, can you repeat, please? Uh, I, sure. I live, I need, I live near the road, so sometimes the traffic uh, turmoil. No problem. Okay. No problem. I was asking, uh, do you address politics or your country or the world? Uh, or do you more address personal things and, and the beauty of nature? Mm, it's uh, a very delicate subject, okay? <laughs> sure, think? sure. Okay. Um, um, my can't, uh, I was born in Italy, but I used oh. to, to uh, a kid. My parents moved along to Brazil where I'm living and working for a long time. So I'm nowadays a Brazilian citizen, yes? Uh, and I haven't been uh, seeing and scoring uh, some um, bad things in our political way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes. Hey. I have the way uh, to to express it to itself. If it, if one is a, a bad politic, so it's delicate to to treat about it. I disagree with the actually politic in my country in Brazil. Sure, sure. Let me ask you this. Um, I'll, I'll get away from complicated topics a little. <laughs> but I was wondering also, uh, some, some poets like to perform. Some people find it difficult. Some people don't perform at all. Are you a performing poet or are you a writing poet? Yeah. But as, as we have a, a mission to writing, we must write about all topics. Okay. We yes. we do you, do you attend poetry readings? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Would you consider reading some of your lovely poems with for us? Mm, in fact, I do. In fact, I do. Would you would you read us one now? I admire a lot of a lot of poets, and they are they are ways to our uh, they are paths to to write to communicate their ideas all over the world. One of the this is you, of course. Would you read one of your poems? Now? Yes. Oh, okay. I brought to you more poems. Um, this first one is how I feel myself 
when I'm in process to write. Okay. Title the writing process. Writing for writing, it's a reality. Writing for success is an ambition of life. Write with emotion is to strip naked by the thousands of reasons who, together with you, will immerse themselves in your most secret, most intense, most true emotions. It's to unveil the veil of feelings and share them beyond its borders. It's getting out of your comfort zone of the usual imperfect for exposing your imperfections without care about grammatical academic content. It's just letting yourself fecundate by the pull of the emotion, living and experiencing it in the entrails of the clear emotion of the creation of your senses. Your emotion is part of the life of your writing. It's who led the reader in its magnificent journey. Your writing is your indelible mark with the power of persuasion that makes you different from others. Writing can be many simultaneous translation of the fertilization process, not in physical, but in the soul, to generate and give life to your own writing process creation. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank Beautiful. You. Thank you. Thank you, Vice. Very much so. Very much so. Would you would you share another one or two for us? Good. Or, Good. Uh, the, um, another poem? Please, please. Oh, I recite to you a tricube style poem. Okay. Short. Okay. When night comes, starts time dream. You appear. Stars from the sky fall in love. Moon shines soon. Couple lovers shun passion. Lust like bloom. Very nice. Very, Very nice. Poem. <laughs> You want to share um, a few more? We would love to hear them. Okay. I'll Poetry in a poet's voice, nothing finer. Oh, thank you. So, um, I brought a quatrain poem to you. See if you like that. A delicate rose blooms to him on his hands. It seems fragile seen. However, when he opens its petals, its dazzling fragrance kittles. As much as he tries to discard her, completely fascinated by the aroma pearl, such a delicate flower catches his eyes. 
que peritiram Rizon Garden High. The morning saw astonishing both in pair, willing to spread in famous sand in the air, or maybe together matched to fly high. Today a dream joined the supremacy tonight. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you, you thank you kindly. You write beautifully. You really do. Would you like to read another? We would be honored to hear it. Okay, okay. Um, the fourth and the last one is entitled Breaking the Oceans. Come battle in my springs, all my heart. Come drink of the pure water of life. Here, invigorate your restraint. Here, be strength to myself. Fall into my depths. Dive into the depths that controls my secrets. Anchor your vessel in my port. Sail the waters of my oceans. Let your dreams flow with the tides. See the corals that adorn my islands. Be an adventurer beyond the sea. Like the oysters that hide the richness of their pearls, so I am hiding in my sanctuary. Valuable treasures of affection who shelter with total zeal. So no insightful look be able to instill it. I can also be a safe haven housing a lost navigator. I am also calm in seven seas crossing of my inspiration from where you too will be inspired. Sailing my waters Sometimes is siren, sometimes revolt, influence the tides of life. Just exquisite. Absolutely exquisite. So nice. Are you... So nice to hear about you, dear. So nice. Well, it is my honor not just to hear you, but to see you. You're such a beautiful soul. I I I'm very touched by your work. Uh, that last one especially was just exquisite, really exquisite. I really feel pleased to talk to you today. I I have you in high level, you know. And to me, it's a great honor to talk and to share with you my simple poems. Uh, eloquent, but eloquent, elegant, <laughs> delicious. Really honor me. Well, you have a wonderful evening, my dear. Thank. Let's you. do this again, okay? Okay. See you in the next time. I hope. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, Misha, that was amazing. What do you think? Well, I 
I almost have no words to express myself. Very powerful, very personal, uh, a little bit paradoxically, less politically implied, less politically implicated, and which is a little bit strange given her background, given her biography, but in the same time, with a fantastic power of generating metaphors, with a very complex and personal imagery. Actually, I was talking at the beginning of the sensual and sensitive, which are, of course, two different things, dimensions of her creation. And I think this is not the basis, because that basis is not only one and not only bidimensional, it is at least three-dimensional. And if I am allowed to, not to not to quote, but to emphasize from the previous poet, it is in a much more abstract way about flying, about reaching superior dimensions, which does not necessarily mean going up physically, geographically, uh, spatially, if you want. One can go within one's soul and discover them dimension over dimension. This was my feeling while hearing her wonderful poems. They, they were impressive and so, so beautifully rendered, too. Well, that's right. Turn... I, I would say that maybe, you know, this wonderful pronunciation of her is very well serving her poetry. Absolutely. Uh, from We turn from the very personal to, I think, in large part, the political. Uh, our next poet, uh, our final poet of the day, is uh, Mr. Tim Evans, who is... Uh, an amazing, powerful, uh, politically astute poet. Uh, do you want to say a word or two about Mr. Tim Evans? Well, I think I have I have already told uh, some things about him at the beginning. Um, he's really a strongly politically implied um, poet. And uh, once again, I think that uh, giving the very you mentioned a very important thing. We come back from the very personal poetry to the strongly political uh, implicated one, um, but in the same time, his way of implicating himself politically, it's a very personal. Let's listen to himself. I think it would be the best thing of understanding him. Here we go, Mr. Tim Evans of Wales. I have been so impressed by your live poets, the wonderful uh -huh. voices that I have heard. Um, Thank you. Before we talk about that, and, and I really want to talk mm. for a few minutes mm. at least about that, because I think that's a marvelous project. I do sure. want to talk, you know, having been a <laughs> an activist myself since my teenage years, yeah. I yeah. suspect yeah. that my friend Mr. Evans has probably been involved as long as I have. Talk about your early involvement with activism, sir. If, Early involvement. If so far uh, it's comfortable. Yeah, yeah, surely, surely. Um, 
Well, where did I start? I suppose I started with the peace movement. Um, you know, I was very conscious as a child growing up in the 60s of uh, nuclear, potential nuclear destruction, the Cuban Missile Crisis, etc. So I think probably my first political act was um, was was under the aegis of uh, the Peace Pledge Union in Clannesley, uh, which is a working class town, used to be a big tin plate town in uh, southwest Wales. And so like, collecting signatures really on the street um, with two big posters of uh, mushroom clouds and, and trying to get people to sign petition for uh, unilateral nuclear disarmament. I mean, that was where I started. Um, I remember seeing what was a remarkable film uh, by a guy called Peter Watkins called The War Game, which was banned by the BBC because it was too disturbing. <laughs> um, and um, you know, they didn't regard having nuclear weapons as disturbing. No, that, just that, no problem with that at all. <laughs> yes. No, no, they were cool with that. Uh, what they weren't happy about was actually showing what the bugger's did, you know. Um, so what happened was that the anti-nuclear movement in Britain then organized a series of film shows. Uh, and I remember going to uh, one of those film shows. Uh, there was a man called Fenner Brockway, who was a member of the precursor of the Labour Party, the um, independent Labour Party, which was actually to the left of the Labour Party. Uh, he later joined the Labour Party, but he uh, spoke and they showed the film. Um, after that, I suppose uh, I began to realise that it was not just the nuclear issue, but that the whole effing society was pretty screwed up. Um, uh, as you may well have been, I was part of the of the counterculture. Um, I came to America, travelled to America uh, in 1968. I, Good I'd, time. Um, yeah, it was a remarkable time actually. Um, I had I had secured a place at Cambridge University in Britain. Uh, to study English, and so this was my second year up there. And as a student, a whole bunch of us decided that uh, we, you know, to be honest, at that point then, I was an anarchist. I was, um, I'd been on the um, anti-Vietnam protests, the ones in Grosvenor Square, that made a big impact because they turned into a, a battle between the police and the protesters uh, who were uh, attempting to get into the embassy. Um, and so traveling through America in 68 was a huge political experience, really. Um, I was in Berkeley when they declared martial law one evening not no no, no it, it, it was a it wasn't actually martial law that's a bit over dramatic but it was a curfew they put a curfew down and there were that we we did 
decided bugger the curfew. We were going to go down and see what was happening. There were like, it was the first time I'd ever seen armored cars on the street. So we thought, oh, bugger this, we're going to go home. <laughs> so we went, we went home. Um, I hitchhiked around California, uh, spent a lot of time in Berkeley, but we were very much into the counterculture, as I say, probably more into the music and what went with sure, the music sure, sure. than the actual politics, although it was difficult to avoid the politics Absolutely. in, in uh, 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 America at that time. Um, I was in a little place called Twin Falls in Utah, and uh, at about midnight, the, I, I was with a bunch of other long hairs, essentially, um, having a little puff and listening to music. And suddenly the doors burst open and there were these two guys. They were Marines uh, on furlough. Oh my. And they got very cross. There was an American flag hanging in one of the doorways and uh, we had long hair and so on and so forth and uh, they were going to cut my hair off i remember at one point but we fell into luck one of the guys who was with us who was a biker was a friend of one of these guys and so they got chatting uh, and they eventually apologized <laughs> so, uh, they apologized but not before telling us a horrible story about throwing Viet Cong prisoners at helicopters and all this sort of shit. So it was, uh, 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 you know, cutting a long story short, you know, it was impossible to avoid, um, particularly to avoid the uh, Vietnam War in America in 68, simply because of conscription. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, young people, I don't know, I, I don't know whether you were around, I don't even know whether you served. Um, well, I was drafted, as a matter of fact, the last draft. Right. And uh, okay. I, I decided uh, on a very unusual course. I had a, I'd been teaching yoga and in a very, very counterculture sort of space in a commune. And yeah, yeah. one of my uh, communards offered me money if I wanted to go to Canada. Now, you know, I, I ask you for a second, Tim, a poet, expatriate, anti-war guy, how, how welcome would be that. That, that. that was my idea of big fun. But it, it dawned on me that I needed to be a man of my word. I needed to speak truth to power. So I decided, <laughs> against all that. better judgment, to, to go ahead and let them have my body. But I gave myself a promise that I would speak the truth. Right. As you can imagine, that got me into tons of trouble. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I spent about eight hours being interrogated uh, about three days <laughs> in. Uh, they said, you know, wait a minute, on this form you said you'd be a pain in the neck to the Army. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I believe in the Constitution. I don't think I lost my free speech. I think I have my right of freedom of religion. So, therefore, you guys can go. <clears throat> have fun. And, and yes. so their their response I thought was interesting. They said, Well, we think you're either dangerously insane or you're you're trying to trick us and we're gonna find out. So they sent me to the uh head psychiatrist on base and now while I'm on my way there, you ha you know, you have to imagine I, I realize I had walked uh, 
as the Chinese say, and into the mouth of the dragon, you know? And yeah, I thought, yeah. well, either my spiritual integrity will get me through this, or I'll be dead real soon. Either way yeah, yeah. can happen. And uh, to my utter amazement, uh, I had been meditating a lot with the I Ching. Uh, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. The I eight see, hexagrams, see, right? Yeah, or yeah, six yeah, hexagrams. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I was <laughs> knowing that I really had not no hope. I mean, there was no no logical hope for what was about to happen. So I I was chanting Om while I, while they're driving me to this psychiatric conference, and the guy who's driving me is completely flipping out. He he he's like, what the hell is going on over there? You know, and he scooted over this side of his car so none of that meditation would get on him. And and <laughs> sure sure enough, I walked uh, I walked into this psychiatrist's office and I and I kind of. I'd gotten a sense during my meditation that it would be okay. Now, I didn't know why it would be okay. I didn't know how it would be okay, but I got a sense it was okay. Now, as I said, I've been studying the hexagrams of I Ching, right? I what walked, did you cast that day? Well, I, I didn't cast. I, I felt that that would be perjuring and, and wishing for something rather than going with uh, the flow. Okay? I didn't want to try to force something. I walked into the psychiatrist's office. On his desk was a mug. On the mug was the hexagram of heaven over heaven. Oh. Oh, no. He walks in. He's flipping through this, this eight hours of testimony. And he said, Richard, I think you have better things to do than to kill people. And I said, my friend, I think you're right. He said, well, I, I only have two choices. I can put you in the psychiatric hospital. <laughs> Or I can release you to these these officers and they'll kill you. And that it's that simple. So he yeah. said, do you, do you mind? And I, I pointed out the window at the air at the army base out there, and I said, well, if that's sanity, book my room. <laughs> so I I ended up with an honorable medical discharge. And right. Uh, oh, well done. They said, you know, we, we think here here's the thing that really flipped me out. He said. We think you're a danger to the army. <laughs> have you listened to Alice's Restaurant? I have, I have, of course. Yeah. Of course. But it was, it, and by the way, I do want to tell you one other thing. Do you know who was the first sane anti-war voice that I ever heard? And I can remember it distinctly when I was a young kid, just in elementary school. Bertram Russell's speech. Oh yes against nuclear yes. war. And yes. I remember thinking, as just a little kid, that yes. makes a lot of sense. What the hell do we need with so many bombs we can blow the world up many times? Absolutely, absolutely. And then like yeah. you say, if that's sanity, book my room. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, well done. That was amazing, amazing uh, what you did. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I salute your integrity. I, I would have taken the Canadian route, although even though now, as a, as a revolutionary socialist, I probably believe the correct thing to do would have, would have been to join the army and then foment discontent. Uh, By the way, which, of course, in four which days, of course, is what they were... Which is what they were doing by the end. They were fragging. Yes. 
Yeah. You don't get much more discontented than that, do you? In, in three days, I had 40 of the 60 guys in my group meditating, chanting Om. No wonder they didn't want me around. Exactly. You would have been a danger, a danger to the morale of the, of the whole uh, unit. But anyway, enough of me. Let's talk you about you. To... So, you, you so were the... obviously involved in organizing. Now you've got these, this wonderful poetry group. Talk to me a little bit about Live Poets. Live Poets really was, um, obviously takes its, uh, takes, its, uh, takes its name from you know, one of my favorite films with Robin Williams is Dead Poets Society. Um, and when did we, I, Rhoda and myself, I mean, I got to say, I'm not the most organized person in the world, and Rhoda is 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 a really good organizer. And that um, between us, uh, we set this thing up. And this was, I don't know, three years ago, something like that, three years ago, um, and. She managed to wangle us into a really good venue. Um, you know, a lot of poetry nights are in what I call sort of dank pubs smelling of deceit, you know. Um, and, and so we actually managed to secure what was like a, an alternative cinema, it was. It was called Cinema & Co., and they had really good, you know, seats that you could lie back in. And we had, we managed, we got, again, I'm not the most technical of people, but we got a couple of friends of mine in the same political organization as myself. And so we projected stuff onto the walls, political slogans. And we started right from the start to make it an overtly political um, uh, uh, um, poetry night, interpreting political in, of course, its widest possible sense. Of course, sexual politics, racial, uh, uh, you know, anti-racism, anti-war. You know, like I tell people, I mean, you know, name me something, and I'll tell you how it's political. A potato, <laughs> okay, let's look at this potato. You know, where was it grown? By whom? Who buys it? Um, Who's profiting so everything, from it? Everything. Who profits from it? And the main question. You know, who benefits? The one thing Mark said you should always ask about everything. Who benefits? Um, and so, so we, we, you know, like one night we had like about a hundred people. This is at a time when you know we are told, oh or we were told, uh, poetry is no longer relevant, nobody reads it anymore, that, that, you know, which was as usual. The same as this whinge that you used to get from the mainstream media years ago, that, oh, young people are apathetic, you know. Oh, back in the day, young people used to be really, uh, really militant, you know, look at 68, these days young people are apathetic, 
is it, it, it was the usual head fixing and brainwashing that you get off the mainstream media. Because I was looking around me and I was seeing all I was seeing whenever I went on demos. And, uh, you know, um, until the, until the, the, the um, uh, coronavirus. Um, and earlier I got a disability, a leg aneurysm, and that meant really I could no longer do long marches, you know, which I used to, it, it was a real blow that, because I used to love big, bloody demos, you know. Uh, I, I remember the 2003 uh, anti-Iraq war demo where we, we got about 2 million people out on the streets in London, you know, which was um, amazing. Anyway, so on these demos, I'd lost my thread completely. I've forgotten okay. where I was going. You're going, we're talking about the, the uh, live poets. Live poets, right. And so in that, you know, in that we had a wide, as wide a range uh as wide an interpretation of poetry as uh, of politics rather as as possible um, that somehow gave people um, permission gave them permission to uh, to write about anything that they wanted to write about and that we would not uh, censor them we would not it would be completely contrary to the philosophy of the whole group that uh, you know we we would we were there to disturb people. We wanted we we didn't want poetry that people could be comfortable with. We wanted poetry that made people uncomfortable. We we didn't want poetry that would make people fit in to a society that was rotten to the core and which exploited them. And of course, young people especially uh, took to that, you know, took to that. So we had, we would have, you know, 80, 90, 100 people turning up at our poetry nights. That's um, and, you know, that was, this was at a time when young people were supposed to be uh, apathetic. This was at a time when young people were supposed to be not interested in poetry. And, of course, young people really took to this because it enabled them to express themselves and to talk about this horrible, bloody world that they found themselves in uh, and to talk about uh, um, racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, etc., and so we ran for about two, two and a half years, we ran really successful poetry nights. You know, we, we were not weekly because, you know, both myself and Rhoda are no longer in our 30s. And, you know, I, I've learned to read, having had the aneurysm, I've learned to read my body and to slow down when it says, oi, slow down. And so we deliberately, you know, we thought, we, you know, it will be lovely to do it every week or even every month. We tend to do it, we tend to do it now uh, about four or five times a year. 
The next one we're doing is going to be on the 16th of March, and that is the run-up to the 20th of March. And on the 20th of March, it is United Nations Anti-Racism Day. Um, that I, I think for the first time, that is going to be commemorated in several countries. It will be in the U.S. Uh, it certainly will be in Britain. Uh, and I believe in Germany, France, uh, and possibly other countries as well. So while it won't be entirely international, it will be about as international as you can get. And so we switched as soon as the as soon as the pandemic hit, we switched on to Zoom. So we will be doing it on Zoom. Um, We've got, um, if, if people go on uh, Facebook, then, and they, they Google in live poets, Swansea, they should come to our page. On our page is the event. Um, if people want to click on going, uh, and what we will do will be that the, the poets will be on Zoom, and then we will live stream on Facebook. Um, we've run up to hundreds um, of views, and I believe over a thousand views for um, the poetry night recordings that have gone up, so that people have then been able to look at Damn. them again. Yeah. Let me ask you before we go, we run out of time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have a poem or two you might share with us, sir? Yes, sure. Good. Sure. Good. Uh, what have I got? What have I got? What have I got? Where did I put them? Oh, there they are. Okay, let's see. Okay, I got four that. Okay, um... I mean, I, I've got, I've got, I've got four there. I can do, I can do as long as you like. But I've chosen one that is like more overtly political. Um, uh, sometimes poetry that is too didactic uh, can be just that, too, too polemical, too didactic. Um, and I, I like poetry that brings together the personal and the political. But this, I'm afraid, is mainly political. Uh, and it's about the pandemic, and it's called If the Dead Can't Call for Justice. I want to bear witness, first of all, to the crimes committed by those in power the bankers, the billionaires, and all the moneyed careerists and political cowards. Their system bred this awful plague and turned a beautiful planet toxic as they mixed disease with the making of food and burrowed through jungles in search of profit. Puffed up on premium-grade cocaine, whole fortunes hoovered up their nose when the day of reckoning came, all they could do was smirk and pose. They cheated, swindled, bluffed, and lied. 
delayed U-turns hid their heads in the sand. They averted their eyes while thousands died and drug profits flowed into corporate hands. Had you or I caused through criminal negligence or simple stupidity so many deaths while other governments had dealt with the pestilence with fewer resources but greater success, we would have been held to account for our sins of omission and commission, blood on our hands. No amount of justification and spin would have cleared us of guilt for those we had damned to die struggling for breath in an ICU, the porters and nurses cast into hell, the teachers, tube workers, no time off in lieu, the refugees locked in disease, ridden cells a diseased system bred this disease to stop the disease you get rid of the system it's managed by murderers con men and thieves a whole array of morbid symptoms and one day they'll be held to account for their crimes and until that day, we'll never forget. If the dead can't get justice in these times, it's up to us to collect the debt. So Bravo, that's, sir. That, that's one. Do you want another one? Please, sir, please. Okay. Ah, what have we got? Uh, okay, there's another one which is a bit more obscure, actually. But there you go. But it's sort of it's sort of wider in scope. It's like when Dylan went from protest song to electric surrealism. Well, some of my poems do the same journey, and this one's called "Spit for the Swallow." Nighttime prowler skirting the perimeter, midnight howler growling in the dark, broken down chapel and a sinister minister, slinging sulfate in the alley where the hound dogs bark, electric shock jukebox skip full of syringes, scattered confusion at the end of the day, witch hunted lies, exile and a lynching, everywhere heavy with a smell of decay. We gate crashed Eden and ended up in hell. Work in the steps one day at a time. When it's harder to buy, it's harder to sell. The bigger the fortune, the bigger the crime. We partied all night but got shattered on the rebound. The volume cranked all the way up to heaven. It seems a long time ago now, but just turn around and it's standing at the corner, just like it was then. And there's one road to glory with no tickets to sell. And the horsemen are riding back home in the dark. Too early to hear the clang of the bell. Too early to hear the song of the lark. And here's a spit for the swallow, a spit for the crow. A spit for the children you didn't want to know. A spit in the dust to mix up the clay. A spit in your eye at the end of the day. 
The house is red and full of radiation. The virus is crawling all around your door. You're going to need some pills and a spot of medication and maybe a visit to the liquor store. And the nighttime prowler is consulting his solicitor. The midnight rambler is scared of the dark. The broken down chapel is a speculative investment sold for six million to a Russian oligarch. These were the things that weren't supposed to happen. These were the beggars that beggared belief. We made an agreement to liquidate the faction, and you said you wouldn't bring in the police. Empty threats in the corridors of power. Tremors so faint you didn't feel them at all. We watched the waves gather from the tall black tower, and the ocean was rising like a great gray shawl. Times like these are the ruptures in history, the rip in the curtain, the crack in the wall. And through the little cracks, the ocean comes pouring. Who can say where the water will fall? Very nice. And that's it. Very nice. I, May I read one for you, sir? Surely. This is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a little tribute to those maniacs that Trump invited to attack our government. All right. It's called A Guest of the President. I'm so excited. He'll be delighted. I'm headed to the White House uninvited. He'll open the doors. He'll roll the rugs off the floor. And let us in to celebrate the din so much better to hear the crowd when it roars like the fire in a store and the mobs through the door. We'll bust some windows and a mirror or two. He'll join right in. What else could he do? We might break a window or two, maybe stain a rug, but they'll be right. We might borrow a laptop and rifle some fires. Our public and brothers won't be deniers. But these special pleasures taken with the people's treasures, it's the least we can do. Good for me, good for you. They'll love the action when we climb through the windows. We're hoping, like them, for security will dwindle. We'll be welcomed for sure, maybe knock down a door. We'll be welcomed at the White House. After all, it's our place to use, unless all along it's one more fake news. <laughs> You, 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 Nancy Pelosi's lectern didn't get a look in there. But. <laughs> Tim, you want to read one more? I'll do one more and then I think we're probably done. Yeah. Um, right, 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 right. What have I got? What have I got? Um, there's a call for justice. Uh, right. All right, okay, all right. Okay, one of my, I mean, probably my favorite poet was Allen Ginsberg. Uh, um, uh, I saw him reading in the Rounds House about 1969, uh, which was amazing, really. I, you know, uh, tremendous, tremendous poet. And um, so 
this is this is a poem written in the style of Ginsburg. Uh, it's it's somewhat tongue in cheek. It's uh, it's 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 um, in the style of Ginsburg. But if you if you imagine it transported not from New Jersey to but to Swansea and to uh, East Swansea at that. Um, so uh, how, you you won't get some of the place references, I'm afraid. That's okay. But uh, if you don't live in Swansea or Sanetti, you won't anyway. But uh, they are places in Swansea. There are places in Swansea. And uh, Havard is a place in Swansea. And the poem is called Holy Havard Howl Nightmare. <laughs> Holy Havard Howl Nightmare. And it goes like this. Om Sri Mitraya, Om Sri Mitraya, Om Sri Mitraya, Om Sri Mitraya. Holy, 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 holy. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked. I saw floating in the methamphetamine connections of naked cities, deconstructing the cock and balls of bebop, drinking turpentine and Coca-Cola in number 43 Devati flats. From Gendros to Kumburla and back to Plasmaro, shuddering, hollow-eyed and wasted. Am I allowed to swear? And wasted to fuck. On the bleak battering... You can bleak, bleep that out if necessary. On the, <laughs> on the bleak battering of the number 25... Busted by the man down in Bonamine between the baked bacteria of buggery and benzedrine blowback baptizing its bazooka boombox as it rocks and rolls its way through Manselton and Money's Bach to the hydrogen-blown back streets of Blinamice, 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 where skull-crazy cathedrals blast my brains in luminous Blakeian visions of evening post-hacks, builders, cracks, wolf packs, Starving jacks, smoking Semtex and dynamite in the toilets of the Adam and Eve when it was the Adam and Eve, in existential subway visions, breaking down all drear and drained of radiance on the pukey pavement outside the potter's wheel, with ECT tranquilizers, antidepressants, up the coid again, staring blankly at yakety yakking hours of daytime TV, Jeremy Kyle and Bargain Hunt. So if you weren't bipolar paranoid disorder when you were admitted, you sure as hell were when you were discharged. Discharged like putts from a sucking wound into the Achavi bed and breakfast of Oystermouth Road, where Mochin D mattresses and plastic sheets synthesize into hallucinogenic bodily fluids to freak your mind completely once and forever. And from Port Mead to Penlan, from Town Hill to Treboit, from Kledach to Flangabellach, I read the screaming seagull neon vibrations of cheap thrills, cheap pills, cheap vodka and ketamine, because I'm with you in Wine Street, Dice Solomon, where you must feel very strange, where the wild Welsh women wail all microskirts and fishnets. I'm with you in Wine Street, Dice Solomon, sharing a smoky blunt in salubrious passage and a KY jelly hand job round the side of the takeaway pizza burger where I saw 
the best minds of my generation, destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked. Um... Bip. And that's it. And very now nice. I'm exhausted. Thank you so very much, Tim, for your time. Wonderful Thank to be with you. You travel safe, right. my brother. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Well, Misha, what do you think? That was some poet, huh? Well, I think you are very right when uh, you described him as a political person writing poetry um, and himself actually describes poetry as something very political and their group is uh, trying to um, intricate into their listeners this idea that uh, poetry should not be comfortable, should not be, quotes, beautiful, but should just uh, be like a trembling, should be like a shock, should somehow attention them to what the poet wants to stress, uh, wants to stress about. And well, I think he completely incorporates those ideas and uh, his poetry, poetry also. Um, actually, this um, at the beginning when talking about Mr. Flash, I was talking about those two dimensions between which the progressive poetry is uh, pendling experimental, respectively, avant-garde, and classical poetry with rhyme and rhythm, uh, which are meant to attract the attention, to better attract the attention of people. I think Mr. Evans, to this second dimension, to the classical form of poetry, which actually serves his goals, the goals to which he actually dedicates the poetry uh, the poetry uh, he writes. Another very important dimension, which uh, also uh, mentioned uh, somehow quickly, is uh, his humor. Um, a humor which is actually consists in making fun of uh, the people he wants people to fight against. Sometimes they say that you can't hate what you are laughing at, he actually, actually comes from a, uh, starts from a different premises. Um, he supposes that people which are laughing and despising the things they are fighting against would make them more acute, more radical, more resolute in their fight against those uh, against those uh, aspects. So, in this case, the love, the humor, are not those uh, mild elements which we know from the classical literature, but a real, acute, and strong uh, weapon uh, uh, in uh, his hands. 
Well, thank you so much, my brother, for joining us here. This series, Poets of the East, could not exist without your hard work, your diligent effort, and your eloquence. I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and let's continue to bring these fantastic Poets of the East to a global audience. Thank you very much for uh, your warm and kind words. Thank you very much for inviting me to co-host this uh, very beautiful initiative of yours. And uh, let me congratulate you for your tenacity, for your energy, and for in the same time for your not only artistic, but also managerial talent in uh, going further with this serial. Let's go further, let's present people, let's present the world, uh, fantastic uh, poets from that East, which you told it so beautifully, incorporates the whole world. Have a good night, brother. We'll talk. Have a good night. All the best. Travel safe. And Zivan. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.